0: Welcome back. I am super excited to introduce my guest. He's an actor, producer. He's got more acting credits than anyone I know with 284 film and television credits on IMDb. Some of his films credits are with friends like these, The Lightship, Total Recall, City Slickers, Die Hard 2, just to name a few. Some of his TV credits include Friends as Mr. Tribbiani, Joey's Father, Family Ties, Barney Miller, Golden Girls, Murphy Brown, Rhoda, Alice, L.A. Law, Hill Street Blues, and many, many others. He was a series regular on Champions, The Last Resort. Charlie Grace. I mean, I could spend an hour just reading his resume. I want to welcome my friend, a great guy, a fellow Brooklynite, Robert Costanzo. Bobby, welcome to the show.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's funny. Welcome, Billy. It's great to be. It's great to you know hook up with you again. And uh, yeah, we are both uh, obviously from. Uh, you know, my wife always says I'm prejudiced, but. We've got quite a few alums in all walks of life, don't we? In Brooklyn, <laughs> it's amazing.
0: It's a it's a rare breed, the Brooklynite.
1: It really is. It it really is. And you know, when you go into the the uh, uh, what is it, the Brooklyn Bagel out here in L.A., you know, they have a lot of Brooklynites on the wall. And It's an amazing, you know, the Larry King who just passed away, and the great Jewish left hander Sandy Koufax and Servino and you know, and the, the list goes on and on. Oh, I'm forgetting, you know, I've said this before. I would argue that the three greatest comedic minds of maybe the last half century in cinema and TV and all are three Jewish guys from Brooklyn, Larry David, but even more so Woody Allen and Mel Brooks. I mean, you know, it's those are, that's a that's a tough triumvirate for sure. Where, where'd you grow up? Where in Brooklyn? I haven't yet, Billy. I actually, <laughs> uh, no, I'm from uh I'm from Sopranoville. <laughs> Bensoners. You know. Where 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 are Bensoners? I'm from uh, uh to specifically Avenue T and West Eighth Street. We used to kid around the Colombo parish, actually St. <laughs> I went to Catholic school sixteen years and uh, right around Bensoners, Gravesend uh sounds kinda ominous, you know. Gravesend. But yeah, right right there. That's actually where the Dutch settled a lot. But, you know, it's an Italian conclave, great place to grow up. And, uh, you know, two family houses and a lot of gals got married, lived upstairs from their mother. And, you know, the Blessed Mother's in the front lawn and Just, uh, yeah, because you're from, where are you from, Bay Ridge? Well, I grew
0: up in Sunset Park, but then my mother moved to uh, 75th and 18th Avenue. So, you Uh know, I went to New Utrecht. Right. So, yeah, that's my old stomping ground, you know, 18th Avenue. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I would have wound up actually going to Lafayette myself, but I wound up Catholic school all the way. St. Francis Prep, St. Francis College. Uh, My answering machine used to say, don't hang up. I have enough hang-ups growing up in a Catholic religion. <laughs> there's an altar boy the whole bit. Hey, so you know, no hey, way so, way. You
0: know the, the podcast is called Hollywood dreammaker podcast and you know, When I created it, you know, you popped into my head. You were one of the first actors that popped into my head because... You're a guy from the neighborhood, and you really, like I said in the introduction, I mean, you got 284 IMDb credits, and I'm sure that's not all of them. I'm sure. Where are the you know, residuals? Where the hell? Yeah, where's the residuals? <laughs> but you know, it just amazes me, Bobby. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, seeing you. Uh, you know, the first time I saw you was in Saturday Night Fever. You know, in, in the page shop, which side. was,
1: you know, a little story there. Uh, I was just starting out because, you know, I started in New York in the 70s and most of my career I've been based in California. But that was my wasn't quite my first speaking job, but it was almost maybe first or second. But what happened was initially that was going to be a small movie with John Appleson, who was a very hot director, then directing the movie. And I was being considered for a really good role. And I had just started out. But They liked me. And as a matter of fact, I went to uh, a townhouse near Central Park and did improvisations with Travolta then. And I was evidently in the running when John Allison had a big falling out and, you know, with Murdoch and Fox and they decided to make it a musical. And my character was just actually still in there, but he's a much older character. Sam Coppola played him. And I wound up doing, you know, the guy which was uh, the kind of... uh, Sort of a, got, got, got a lot of notoriety, the scene with John in the in the hardware store, which was shot in Brooklyn, uh, under the L on 86. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I remember that story. And,
1: and, you know, that was almost a huge part, but I wound up doing that other guy, and uh, that's, that was kind of my start in films, because I was doing commercials and off-Broadway stuff, et cetera. And then I got cast from a commercial at Compton, California. That's how that happened. I I, I did an Alice, the show Alice, which was, you know, comedy with Vic Tayback. Sure. And and I kind of never looked back. I went back to New York, you know, to shoot like uh, NYPD Blue and and other movies here and there. But I was basically, even though I was known as a, quote, New York actor, I was based mostly here.
0: Well, let's go back to the very, very beginning. You know, where did the dream, you know, when did you know you wanted to be an actor? What, you know? Yeah. What was that? You know, I mean, look for me. For me, it was I was eleven, and they were filming a movie on my block in my neighborhood. They were filming Nunzio with David Proval, Jimmy Andronica.
1: Wow! Now Which they a really, really terrific movie, and Proval's become a good friend. And what I love that movie. Yeah.
0: So he was brilliant in that. I, he's actually been a guest on the show. And yeah, it's
1: great. Yeah, they, you
0: know, you know, they they set up base camp on my block. You know, they used there was a bungalow on my block that they used for all the interiors. They built sets, so Universal Studios was basically living on my block for a month. And yeah. as a little kid, you know, I came home. I was like, you know, I saw the, you know, the trucks and all the stuff going on. And I ran down the street. I said, what's going on? They said, we're making a movie. I said, how do you get in the movie? Long story short, I I got a little part in the movie as an extra, you know, I was in background, right? But, but what happened is when I showed up to the set, there was an actor, there was a lead actor, young kid that looked just like me. Well, he wasn't there that day. So everybody thought I was him. So they gave me the star treatment. They pouted my nose. They gave me the craft service, you know, everything. And I played along, you know, I played. You know, and, and, and then I just I was so consumed by it that I was like following them from location to location and watching for like it was like film school for me as a, as a young kid. And I got that's when I truly got bit by the bug and I wanted to be an actor. But then there was a, a year later, they were filming Saturday Night Fever in my neighborhood. And they right. were doing a scene with the Barracuda Club when they crashed through the, and they have this big fight yeah, and they, yeah, they yeah. do the stunt and whatever. And I stayed up till like four o'clock in the morning watching the stunt and all the stuff and with my sisters. And the next thing, you know, John Travolta's coming out of his honey wagon and, you know, gave me an autograph. And that's when I knew that I wanted to be an actor.
1: Yeah. You know, so when did you actor, know? By the way, you're a wonderful oh. actor. And you know, Travolta... Uh, he, that was the height. Uh, that's when he really became this, you know, iconic phenomenon before he had the big crash and then, of course, came back again. But back then in Brooklyn, we had a smuggle, when I say we, the with the Teamsters, so we literally had to smuggle him out the back after we shot because the girls were like crazy. Yeah, it was madness. It was like Sinatra in the 40s, you know. Anyway, so that was a pretty good start. And then uh, for me, so your original question, how did it start? I didn't actually have those dreams of being an actor back then. And I think what happened was I was always kind of the raconteur of the crowd. I would always, you know, go home with the papers and set my friends up with babes. And the next morning we would all tell stories. And Bobby was the funny guy, you know, it was Rodney Dangerfield used to say, the Italian guys always make it, you know, you know, Jews, we go home with the uh, uh, bagels and the paper, you know, and I said, well, I'm a Jewish guy, I went home with the bagels and paper and made everyone laugh. So I was kind of funny in a rec and tour, and I was in the textile business. I had a degree in business and was sort of floundering around. I go on a sales meeting, and I go – I have a choice of either – and this actually leads up to how I really became an actor. I had a choice between hunting and golfing. I become, I'm i a golf nut now. and have been for 20 years. But back then, I said, let me go hunting. So I go hunting with one of these good old boys, and we're going uh, – Quail hunting, and I can't shoot worth the shit. I, <laughs> guys blowing quail out of the air like uh, Annie Oakley. Yankee <laughs> Morris can't shoot worth the shit, can you, Bobby? I go, shut up. I'm going to shoot you and put you in the back of my Cadillac. He's kidding around, <laughs> but he was. Uh, so at the end of the day, I shot six quail that were on the ground. Not what you're supposed to do. So that night, they kind of gave me the Audubon Society award, like a goof, you know, for killing birds. And I sort of topped everybody with my jokes. And I also wrote a little play about the executives in the company. P.S. I wind up coming home with Bob Levinson, the chairman of the board of the company, who says, you're very funny, Costanzo. Have you ever thought of show business? Something about this guy sitting in the back of his limo made me think, you know what? This could be a crossroads or something. Two days later, I find myself going to Lee Strasberg, the the, the uh, Strasbourg Institute in New York, you know and the guy says uh, you're a good type and two uh, days later, after that two days later two you days went. later I just got this incentive I'm on I'm on the train and somebody had a booklet from the new school Strasbourg Institute. I literally got off like I was propelled from 42nd Street to 14th Street because the Strasbourg Institute was on like 13th yeah. got sounds, out yeah. the, the artistic director uh, Mitchell Nestor, we all remembers him really or Rossi, our friend. And Mitch goes, you're a good type, $150, you start classes on Saturday. And I said, i blow that one day at Aqueduct. So then I was, like, transported into a new world, Billy. It was like, wow, look at these babes who would never look at me or say, would you like to come up to my loft and rehearse Antigone? You know, I go, fuck yeah, you know. (laughs) That started... So I started doing, and I a very funny story. The first scene I ever did, and I'm thinking of putting together a one-man show and putting some of this together, but this is all true. The first scene I ever did was there's a movie called The Rainmaker, Burt Lancaster and Catherine Hepburn. She's, he's sort of a, a spinner of tales. His name is Starbuck and, and she's like this spinster. So I did a scene with this actress, my first scene ever. So I'm in the bathroom at the Strasburg Institute. And I'm getting ready to get into my Bert Lancaster outfit. Nervous as hell. And the small bathroom because it, it was limited facilities. There was no, like, dressing area. So whoever was in the stall there, I went, whoa, I don't know who's in there, but I know what to use for my next sharp smell sensory exercise. <laughs> From the method, we do all that. And out comes Strasbourg. Oh my god. In the bathroom. He goes, Never mind the sharp smell, you make sure you wash your hands. So now I'm a mess. I go in to do this scene with this actress who, by the way, was a foot taller than me. You can believe it. You know, we say our inner objective as actors, my inner objective was to make her laugh. I rehearsed for the two weeks. Could you believe I could never make her laugh? And and a very sad footnote to this later on. I was doing championship season in Rhode Island. I heard it on the radio. She answered an ad and was killed and raped. It was terrible. This was about two years after I had done the scene with her. Anyway, I go, Yes, terrible. Oh, God. Her name was Karen Schlegel. She was talented and God. Anyway, we go to do the scene. And in the scene, she takes off the pins out of her hair and Starbuck kisses her. So I go to kiss her. I miss her lips. It's a disaster. The class is laughing. And after, you know, the encounter with Strasburg. So that was sort of my, you know, introduction (laughs) to acting, but I persisted. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: You know, I studied at Strasbourg. you know, that was where that's, that's what everything changed for me. I mean, you know, my, I I mentioned my story to you, you know, I got bit by the bug when I was 11, but you know then uh, there was a there was a casting director that gave, you start
1: you you started at Strasburg. who did you study with over there
0: i studied with jeffrey horn in the young people's okay. program but i didn't study with him till i was well 16 what happened is, is and and i i think i've mentioned the story a long time ago but i was running around the streets you know i you know i came from a broken home and yeah i was looking for uh you know a, a father figure i guess and you know i was running around the neighborhood you knew the neighborhood you know 18th yeah. avenue you know yeah. wise guys you know and yeah. I, I hooked up with with some guys that were you know One of them was like Superman to me, you know, double breasted suit, diamond pinky ring, handsome. All the girls loved him. All the guys feared him. Used to get me into clubs, pastels, changes. You know, I'd be hanging out in the. John Gotti was not even, he was Johnny boy hanging out in the VIP thing. You know, it wasn't even, you know, John Gotti back in the day. We're talking 1981, you know. And, you know, he was, he was the guy, you know, as far as I was concerned, what he said, do this do that, do that. I did whatever he said, you right, know, right. I was, I was, I was earning. He was my idol. And then, then one day, uh, you know, I had cut out from school and, and I was walking down the street and I, I ran into him He said, come on, take a walk. And he walked into a jewelry store that he was shaking down and collected his, you know, collection. And then he started walking down and he walked to a men's clothing store in Brooklyn and he walked in and I stay, I was outside of the place. And I watched him have a conversation with the guy behind the counter. And then he walked over to a suit rack, grabbed a bunch of suits, put them over his shoulder and started walking out the door. And as he was walking out the door, you know, he was my idol. My eyes were on him. I'm watching him. He's got this big cocky smile on his face. And from my peripheral vision, I see a guy come out from behind the counter and he pumps five bullets into him, you know, hitting him in the head. You know, one of the bullets went right over my head, uh, you know, and I watched him fall out and that was the guy I wanted to be, you know, and I watched him bleed out there and I knew that this was not the life for me. I had to get out of that whole life. And uh, then, you know, I had some guys, I had some guy looking to kill me in the street. So I, I went out and I hid out in Syracuse, New York, where my sisters were going to college. Long story short, I come back. And this guy's still looking for me. So I, I'm at Aqueduct. I went a couple hundred dollars on the race. And my friend said, what are you going to do with the money? I said, I'm going to Hollywood. And everybody was like, laughs at me and told me, yeah, okay, yeah, right, whatever. And then I, I went out to, before that, I was studying. I ran into a guy that lived across the street from me that was studying at Lee Strasbourg And I begged him to take me to New York. And yeah,
1: the, uh, you're talking about the institute. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, forty, yeah, Fourteenth Street. Of, it
1: was part of the New School. That's where. It was yeah. Safe.
0: So, so right. I studied. I studied at Lee at Lee Strasberg, and then you know, then I went I hit that race, and then I came out to Hollywood. But you know, when I told you this story, you know, this I've mentioned this story before, and it sounds like. Make believe. Right. You know, it sounds like something out of a movie. Right. But but an
1: amazing story. But you know what? A lot of that stuff shaped, you know, who you are and all, you know, it it sort of framed. You know your life experiences, and you distill them and use them. And you know you're. You know I, I still remember some of the scenes you did when we did. We, you know, I don't know if the people know we. I guess we met each other through our friend Bobby Maresco, who's gone on to you know write Crash and be, had an incredible career. I think you've had him on your show, and you know I remember you doing some of the scenes there and uh, the Actors' Gym, which Bobby kind of started out here and I was kind of his unofficial uh, artistic consigliere if you will and you know so many of us became great friends and it's still an ongoing thing and
0: yeah yeah I think you saw me in extremities there
1: yeah you were amazing you know and uh, and by the way you the magician stuff is still you,
0: <laughs> you know everybody mentions that the magic and people don't know that I'm... when
1: did you when did you develop that skill i mean you were like hell-bent to be an actor since you were a little boy i guess yeah so you know it, i mean
0: it goes back to when i was a kid you know what happened was i was at school you know how they have those little elastic clips and you have your gloves you has a little clip to clip yeah, your yeah, gloves yeah, so that yeah, you don't yeah. lose your gloves they hang like this yeah, 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 well i yeah. lost one of my gloves so, yeah. you know, I had this piece of elastic with this little clip thing and I clipped a quarter to it and I and I stretched it out and I and it sh- shot up my arm. And so I, I went to all the girls at school. I said, look at the quarter. And then, boom, it disappeared. <laughs> all of a sudden, I got a response. And, like, the girls were like, oh, my gosh, you show her, show her. And then I was like, wait, yeah. there's something here. <laughs> you know? And that's when I kind of got bit by the magic bug and, uh, as a kid. But, you know, then as I – It's a, all
1: about the girls. Once we can make the girls laugh and – Oh, forget no about hours, it
0: that's it well that's why I went to Lee Strasberg. I was in a, the Young People's Program I was, when I had Jeffrey Horn on the show you know I was in a class with like 22 actresses I was the only a- actor in the class that it was amazing I was everybody's scene part <laughs> so <laughs> so really motivated I was highly motivated to get the class on Saturdays right, right. but you know as a, when I came out to Hollywood you know I knew I needed to make some money. I I needed to have like a, a way to get some to make some money. So I so really
1: you were about I, 18 19 when you came out. Of
0: yeah, I came out at when I was 18. I hit Hollywood in, at, at 18 years old, but I didn't want to do the waiter thing. I mean, I did a, you know, when I first came out I, did, I had a little busboy job, but then I was yeah. like I needed I need to figure out a way to make money. And you know, I used the magic. I mean, I was doing, you know, street magic going to bars, restaurants, clubs, walking around, yeah. putting on my tuxedo on and you know playing the role of the magician and, and I, I, made a pretty decent living. I mean, I could go out and make a few hundred bucks in you're, cash. You're
1: what, they, you're what they call a close-up magician. Yeah. Not like Siegfried and Roy.
0: Yeah, no, I, I left, I didn't have the lions, but you know, I, I did, you know, I did have bird, you know, I had birds doves that I would produce, you know, in the middle of a restaurant I pull out a bird.
1: You know, <laughs> you know I was an amazing uh, magician. A couple of guys I worked with, you probably, well, Milton Burrow, who was Mr. Television? I did Guys and Dolls with Milton. He put this. Stuff he could do close up was amazing, and he was Johnny Carson too. Yeah, and did you know Tony Giorgio? Yeah, sure, he's amazing Tony, with Carson. Tony and I did Guys and Dolls again. I played Harry the horse with Milton, and, and Tony was Big Julie. was unreal. He was amazing. Yeah, he invited I used to- me to the. Uh, to the Magic Castle. That's where
0: days. I saw him. I saw him up at the Magic yeah. Castle. I used to. That was my home away from home. You know, I, I was living yeah, up there.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, Tony that's, was. A good that's guy. awesome. He passed away about eight nine years ago from cancer. You know, was, yeah. Wow. He played. Uh, he was in the Godfather. He played. Yeah,
0: he, he stuck the ice pick
1: in. Yeah, remember yeah, yeah, the bartender. Yeah. He had that face. He was. He could terrify you. Good, good guy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I came out here. So I was like working in New York and studying and then I studied Mira Rostova who was a big influence on me and then I came out there I got cast from a commercial to do an Alice you know it was weird it was just like somebody How started. old were you? At that time I was in my early 30s. Wow. It. So you didn't you didn't really I, I mean when did you start when did you yeah. well, how old were you
0: when you started acting?
1: 29 or 30 when I when I went to Strasbourg when I took that class in Wow. I graduated St. Francis College. You know, I did the whole high school college, right, by the numbers, in early 20s and wound up mostly in textiles and sales and, you know, hanging out. It was never something I loved, I was passionate about. You know, I used the company car to go to the racetrack and whatever, and I made a living and uh, then I got engaged, fell in love, we fell out of love and whatever. And then the next thing you know, I don't know, I had this... Thing with Bob Levinson, the chairman of the board, and all of a sudden I went boom and I went over to Strasbourg. It's weird how stuff, you know, it's like you crossroads in life and you take the path or you don't. And, you know, you said, he said, would I become an actor a, a, if not for that? Maybe. Who knows? You know, you, you never really know. I remember I was at a, a job when I was in textiles in Chicago. It was pretty considered a, a, a definite. You know promotion and more money, but I was engaged to Dorothy from Brooklyn, who I met at Pastels, one of uh-huh. the penthouse. And I didn't want to leave. I wanted to be around her. And who knows if I go to Chicago and make a lot of money for DuPlan, maybe I wind up being you know one of those guys or in the in the in the training program and living in Chicago. Who I, you never know. Life goes takes strange byways and highways.
0: Weird. So Bobby, I don't know if you remember this, but we you know, we didn't meet with Bobby Moresco. Oh, we met we, we we did a film together in nineteen eighty eight called Crossing the Mob with Jason Bateman oh, and more teenage. That, That's right. You chased me with the bait. The scene was is I rob an old lady's purse because Frank Stallone was playing the local wise guy boss, mafia boss, and that Jason Bateman's trying to impress him. So me me and his crew come up with this scheme that we're going to rob this old lady's purse, like his grandmother or whatever's purse. And then he's going to return the purse and he's going to be the hero. And then he's going to get a job working for this mob guy. So the scene was, as I go and I, I, put, I have a ski mask on, and I come running by and I snatch the person. And then you, you came running after me with a baseball bat. You chased me like three blocks <laughs> down alleys. And, I, and then I, they had it set up where there was a trash dumpster. I jump in the dumpster. They close the door. You know, you're looking and they point you down the, and you keep running. And I almost die. I almost get killed with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. I, 19- that's right. My friend wrote that. My friend Luke Kowick wrote that. And Louie wound up. We're still good friends. We play poker together, and he's written "Ghost of Mississippi" and uh, "October Sky," and he's he's quite an accomplished wow. good pal. I'm going to tell him about that again because we 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 have a Zoom meeting of all our ex poker guys who can't play poker now because of the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there is poker online. There is the, you know. No, but I'm not, That's not
1: my thing, you know, I'm not. Uh, yeah, but you can play, you can
0: look at each other too via Zoom. So you can play yeah, and yeah. then look at each other. Have you done
1: it? Have you done I it?
0: have. I, I played in a tournament. I came in second place.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I played in tournaments. I love I love the holding poker, but uh, I, I have not played it online anyway. But uh, that's right, crossing the mob, right? Wow. Hey. So, so,
0: Bobby, you know, I, I know, do you remember... Andy Dillon. He's a friend of mine. He was a stuntman. I remember, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think you know he told I know. me. You
1: know what? Oh, wow. I haven't seen Andy, Andy in years. Yeah. I
0: think, think he was a I student of yours.
1: It, 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 yeah, that's right. I've, uh, yeah, I used to, I used to coach privately here and there. And even now, uh, before, again, before the scourge and all, I, I was uh, occasionally going out to John Ruskin school in Santa Monica and Steve Snyder's workshop, which he, Leo Rossi was connected with at one time. So I've done a little teaching. So so yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk to you about, you know, what's your approach?
0: You know, I mean you studied yeah. with Montgomery Cliffs and Armand Desante and Alec Baldwin and
1: Jessica Lang's teacher. You know, what did yeah. what 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 did you get from that? Well, Mira, okay, there were widely different approaches. So at Strasbourg, you know. I never completely bought into the method. I, I think it worked. You know, it, it's a funny thing, the method. It's almost like no one can really exactly define it. I remember Harvey Keitel. Now, Harvey's a brilliant actor. And I, I'm not meaning to make fun of him, but he was talking about the method. And it was, it was almost like a spoof on Saturday Night Live spoof because he was going, oh, the method. You see, uh, what is the method? You want to know? Well, uh, it's a... Uh, it's it's a process. It's a it's a way of defining. You see, it's uh, people don't understand it at all. I go, yeah, unlike you, playing, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's all defensive hobby. I mean, the, the method, as you know, is you know using a lot of past life experiences. I yeah, I think it was codified by Strasbourg, who's you know brought it here from Vaktingov and and, and from Russia and. Uh, <laughs> there's some funny stories about it. I remember hearing when Stella Adler came here from Russia and she was the grand dom and she's coming off the boat and all the students are rushing to meet her and she's screaming loudly. And they finally, as they get closer, they hear her saying, it's wrong. We're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the method, but you know, obviously I think anybody, any creative person, you know, uses their imagination, life experiences, parallel experience. I go a lot to people. I go to guys I know because I tend to play, you know, guys from my background in the neighborhood, and there were a lot of colorful guys, as you know, growing up. I often, like, sort of uh, inhabit their whole psyche and it comes out, you know, the rhythm of their voice. You know, I do use... Uh, Affected memory is a, is a strong thing with me, um, smells sometimes. So, in a sense, I do use the method. What Mira Rostova worked on, though, she was almost anti method. She was all about the imagination and the script. And uh, a lot of people have mocked her because she had five key words she used. It was, uh, she would talk about uh, simple things like uh, if you had a, a line, a simple line like it's raining outside. And how the conditions of the scene would change that. If you were uh, a weatherman and your job, were, you know, it was important that you were right. Well, it's raining outside. You're happy. You know, if you're going to go on a picnic with your girlfriend, it's raining outside. It's so simple. But, you know, she would call them, the. I, that five words, lament. <laughs> what are they now? <laughs> to lament, to admit and she codified them. It's funny, I can't quite recall them now, but I, I used to kid around with Armand Sante, and I would imitate Mira because she was this sort of little bird-like Russian woman who would sit there and legend, that rumor has it, like she would be on the set of From Here to Eternity and Monty Cliff would do a big scene and look her way and she would either go, or <laughs> like, you know, like a Don, like a mob Don. And if she went like this, Fred Zinneman would go nuts because he had to redo the whole scene. Wow. Anyway, but I liked her because I hooked into her. She made sense to me. And it's very helpful out here because, you know, a lot, a lot of actors, it's like, uh, oh, I, I can't go. I can't get there. I need time. You know, in a way, bullshit. Because, look, if I give a musician a piece, he puts it in his horn, he plays it. He may not play it as well as he does opening night at Lincoln Center, but he can play it. There's this mystique and this thing about, oh, you know, I can't, you know, I can't do it. I need time. and need, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to work much out in Hollywood. You know that, you know, in the morning you get, you know, sometimes you got an hour or two to prepare a script and, and you know, you're a construction worker in the afternoon, you're a state senator and, you know, you got to facile. And and that's why, uh, you know, that's, that's been my thing. Having said that, you know, I'm not certainly not anti-method and I know a lot of actors, Seemed to need that time to get into it. You know, I remember working with an actress who had all these copious notes next to her, you know, her, her lines. And, you know, what I did this morning, my favorite color was my astrological sign. Who needs that? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was just reading the other day about, I think it was on, on the Internet, Denzel Washington, who's like one of my favorite actors. I love this guy. I mean, he's yeah. he's got the whole package. And he's working with. I'm not telling tales out of school. He was on the on the Intel. He was working with Jared Leno, who's driving him crazy because he's he's you know all the preparation and you know and of course that that's not going to work with Denzel. You know he just like. You gotta, you gotta be there, and you gotta get to it. We we can't wait two hours for you to have a moment, you
0: know. Yeah. Well, I saw that film. I saw Jared Leno's performance. Oh, really good. Yeah.
1: You know. But he I mean, is good. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah,
0: maybe it was worth maybe that extra, you know, because well, you know
1: what? Yeah. You know what? Look. You know what? Look. Pacino's. You know, one of the. You know, champions of the method. You know, some people, if you can get to those levels, but you, you know, you, you got to. You can't. You, you can't just uh, you know sort of uh, drag your feet forever. You've got to uh, sure. do it. You know, I remember when I first started studying at Strasbourg, there were some people who did great exercise, but they weren't very good actors. You know, they could, but they would they would feel the sun go from seven degrees to eighty five, and <laughs> they were all, ah, ah, you know, oh, that's beautiful. You know, there was one kid, <clears throat> little small guy. He was he was amazing. He could do. He could he could feel he could feel rain. He could he could, you know, see his grandmother and do all this stuff. And wasn't very good when he acted. When I came out here, I would correspond to him before the email days and write these long letters. And I'm like almost seeking his approval on things. And then I go, what am I doing? This kid's like tending, you know, bar or waiting tables. I'm out here making a living and I'm, you know. So I stopped writing because <laughs> you would be critical of my shit. Well, you were pretty good in that Barney Miller, but you know, you could, ah, <laughs> you know, I believe, you know, actors should
0: study them all study, you know, everything yeah. and then create your own method, you know, figure out what works for you, you know, build your actor toolbox. Know How do I get to that place? Yeah. You know, what yeah. is it? What is it? What is my triggers? What do I have? You know, if I, yeah. if I have to go to that emotional place, where's my truth, yeah. You know, don't act, you know, take your truth, your soul and hand it over to the character, you know, and make some big choices. Let's talk about, you know, auditioning. You know, you mentioned nerves in the bathroom at Lee Strasberg and stuff like that. Have you uh, had to deal with nerves and and nervousness or as an actor or auditioning or any of that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, I I think when a when a scene is sort of a little bit out of my bailiwick. You're a little nervous. I mean, one that comes to mind is I read for, I got which Shakespearean play it was, but I was awful because I was nervous about it. I'm reading for Tony Richardson, who's a, the great English director, and I was a mess. And, you know, that that was a lesson well-served. I said, you know, you've got to... But the good thing about doing that is the next time I go in for something that's a little bit out of my bailiwick, a little out of my range, I think I'm, I'd be more comfortable because I've been through the... Foodie- you know the the nerves of it and all but uh, generally uh, and i would tell that to actors you know don't don't do what I do because i have my own way you know well you know nowadays unfortunately we're either self taping or even before the pandemic I don't know about you but there's a lot of uh, you know people putting yourself on tape even if you're a fairly accomplished actor and then they send it in and i I hate that i like i like the producers in the room myself because you know, I think they feel who I am a lot. Way you know,
0: absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, you know, you're you're a great guy. I mean, your personality, people like you. They want to be around you. You know, when they meet you, they're going to want to work with you. So I think it's really important. You know, the the that relationship thing. You know, it's it's yeah. to be able to meet somebody in person and th- th- then get a sense of who you are. Yeah, uh, is is going to be completely different. Yeah, than your because I mean, like, hey. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, like when we were doing with Friends Like These, where I got to play the lead that Penny Marshall produced. And I was in on some of, I was in on all the auditions for the most part. And, you know, it's fun to be on the other side and look at it. And then you really get a sense of of, of people, of actors and about. And you say to yourself, I think I'd like that guy or that gal on my set. I think they would be you know, I, I could I could feel, even if they don't hit every note and some other actor maybe hits it a little better here and there, but, you know, it's an intangible sometimes that you, you get. It's a crapshoot sometimes, you know. It, it is, uh, and, and like I said, I told actors, you know, I have my own way of kidding around and trying to disarm people and, you know, saying stuff that's like, depending on on the project. Uh, I, I, I literally have said things like, uh, listen, I know you got time to think about this. You're not going to find anybody better, but uh, I'm sure over the weekend you'll think it over. You'll fuck it up, and you'll hire Jan Michael Vincent for you know to <laughs> play, uh, play an Italian mob boss or something. You know, and, and sometimes that works. You know, and uh, I remember one time I read for a, a project for Jim Brooks and those talented writers and all. There was a, a short live series. They wound up going with. Um, It was for a tennis pro and they wound up going with a great actor, William Devane but I really thought this guy was me and I read it. I'll never forget. I just, you know, you read something and you know, and I literally flip the script up in the air and I go that's as good as it gets. Now go hire John Stamos or Jim, you know, somebody who's completely different than me. (laughs) Of course, they build, you know, sometimes you grist for the mill. They they know they want Bill Devane was a name and you know, they're just killing time in case they can't make a deal and all that stuff. But you know, that's you know, the
0: business has changed drastically from yeah. when when you know. I mean, we've been I've been in the business. You know, I came out here in eighty four. So I mean, when did when did you come out here? I came out in seventy seven. Okay, so seventy seven. So you know, I mean, you've been in the game for for a long time. And and you know, back in seventy seven and even eighty four, it was a different time. You know, we were like you know, with our black and white headshots with our resumes yeah, stapled on. Know, and- I-
1: and, 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 you know, I, I'm still not, I, you know, I, I kick myself in the ass sometimes and it's not out of being an ego, like, Oh, they should know who I am. But I, you know, I'm not proactive enough with the whole you know, internet and getting yourself online and, you know, getting your real back up to speed, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so uh, you kind of got to do that now, you know, yeah you have to, have to. Joe Montagna. Man- Joe I said, Joe, I don't know if I could make it these days as an actor, who knows, you know, it's a, world you're absolutely right yeah just uh, listen and sometimes you know it's my good fortune sort of to be who i am and the way i look and sometimes it's my uh it, it's the sort of bane of my existence because i always feel like there's a lot more i could have done should have done would have done might have done but you know you you get your niche and it's there's a lot of talented people and i'm happy to have that niche although that niche is going away as you get older and all it's they forget about you sometimes. Yeah, but you know,
0: that's why you get all that digital stuff out there. You gotta have yeah, your man. demo reel yeah. out there because there are yes. a lot of young casting directors that, you know, they weren't they, they weren't even born. <laughs> they don't have that's no true. idea who you are. But you gotta have that where they can click on it and go, Oh yeah, now I remember. I see yeah. it. It's right there in front of their face, you know. So know. it's really important. I mean, you know. Back in the day, when I came out here, I remember when I was looking for an agent. I got a list of agents from the Screen Actors Guild and literally had a, a, one of those Thomas guides, you know, a book yeah. with A4 to find out, you know, walking the streets, yeah. having to go to a pay phone, put a quarter in it, make a call. To So, I mean, now actors have it easy. They have this, you know, this little device in their pocket that gives yeah. them everything they need. You know, it's a movie making machine. It's a, it's, you can write a script on it, you can edit it, you can,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, you can do everything on it. And it's really important that that thing know,
1: has changed everything, even in scripts and the way you develop scripts, how you can use the device of the, you know, you don't have to go to the phone booth then anyway. where you flip it out of your pocket and you're online. And, you know, that the cell phone has become a big part of the. Sure. I mean, you could dictate. Technology phone. become Part of the inner workings of scripts and all that. Sure. It's, it's, it's amazing. It changes. But uh, what do you see the future of Hollywood? Ah, good question. The future of Hollywood. I hope it doesn't get to that point where, you know, there's always there's been that talk about they could sort of uh, CGI, you know, anybody and and you could create a face so you you don't have to pay Tom Cruise $20 million. You think that'll happen or? I mean, look what they did with The Irishman. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they they made
0: De Niro, you know, young. <laughs>
1: they, yeah, they made him younger. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, you know, Pacino, they made him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of scary I mean, what they can do. Yeah,
1: I think they're still going to want, though, actors and people who can bring it. I, I don't think that'll change. But how they package movies, the whole streaming world. You know, here's the other thing. I was talking to, you know, Leo Rossi, you had on the show. We were talking this morning. What's going to happen when this thing finally ends and we can go like movies? Well, I just had a whole thing in, in the paper this morning, the Golden Globes, how it's become a television world with all the writers and most of your good projects. And But hopefully when this thing ends, if any of these movie theaters are still in business, you would think people are going to flock to concerts, movies, and restaurants all over again, I hope. Otherwise, I, I don't know. I'm really not sure what the future will be, but certainly the streaming and and how we get compensated for all that, that's all... I don't know. It's um, what do you what do you think? I mean, what's
0: I think I I think once the theaters open up and all that stuff, I think people are still going to be scared. It's going to be trickling in. You know, it's going to be a slow process. It's not going to be like they're going to open up the gates and everybody's going to run in. I do believe that the future of casting will remain self tapes and self tape Mm -hmm. Zoom calls. You know, because why? You know, if I'm a if I'm a director, why do I want to drive to Hollywood in traffic? You know, instead of staying in my Malibu beach house. If I can just watch a bunch of tape of actors and choose right there. And then if I wanted to do a callback, just meet with them on Zoom. It's made it easier, I think. Now they've gotten accustomed to it. I think that might stick around from what I'm hearing that
1: it's going to stick.
0: You know, it's those walking into the room may not happen. I mean, maybe maybe on a final callback if they want to just kind of see you in a personality thing. But I think a lot of them are going to be self-tapes. And that's why I tell my actors right now that this is the time to become a master at self-taping, really figure it out. You know, your lighting, your framing, your everything. So that yeah, you myself. stand out, you got to stand out like a sore thumb. It's If I'm my casting director and I'm looking at 700 self-taped submissions for one role and it's the guy with the wrinkled curtain and the script in his hand, you know, and just saying the words. And then there's a guy who, you know is in the wardrobe of the character. The background is, let's say you're playing a detective and you're in- interrogating the guy. You know, you don't want to be with the, the blue background. Put yourself against a gray wall that looks like maybe a, an inter- interrogation room, something real. You know, frame it up right here so it's like a close-up. Yeah, good,
1: good point. Mostly what I've been doing is, on a few self-tapes I have, I use a, a fairly plain wall, and I, I, I bought this gizmo for about 40 bucks where you put your cell phone and lock it in, Okay. So that it, it's, it's like a tripod. Basically. Sure. Well, like, like a ring light. But I'm, I'm sure it's not, you know, first class uh, editing, lighting, et cetera. It looks OK to me. But I'm sure there are guys who, you know, have uh, even with voiceovers, which I've done a lot of. My voice, stuff I do. Yeah, for, so so you're you're
0: uh, the voice you're the voice of Harvey Bullock and Batman, right? You've done Family, family Guy, do. Rugrats, Hercules. Yeah,
1: yeah, I did I did Phil Artides, which Danny did DeVito. He did the movie, and then uh, some of the movie people continued to do the series, most of it. And I I wound up doing Dan, Danny's role, and I've done Bullock, who's been great. Uh, matter of fact, we're having a a Zoom. Uh, sort of reunion a couple of weeks with the cast and, you know, that kind of thing. And people, you know, will wind up selling whatever sells and signing stuff. That's fun. Yeah. Then, and I, that became, I've been doing that about 25 or 30 years. I sort you, of fell into that.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. So if I'm a, I'm a young actor and I'm thinking
1: of doing some voiceover work, what would your advice be to me? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is try to put a tape together. You know, that voiceover world, though, as far as, even well, not so much cartoons, but from what I understand, like, in, and I used to do a lot of uh, TV and radio spots, and they can be lucrative for uh, products. But a lot of that has gone non-union these days, from what my agents tell me, and I know to be true to some degree. But as far as putting, I, I would say, put a tape together, know, know who you are. If you've got a quirky, off-the-wall voice, then I would say do some... You know, find some copy you can get it out of magazines and all, and and put that together and try and get it over to a, an agency. And uh, and if not, if you have a you know really solid sort of you know uh, kind of uh, anchor newsman voice, then you know highlight that because uh, there's a group of. I mean, I've done okay with cartoons. There's a group of actors. One of them, uh, Kevin Richardson, who is a wonderful guy, he's an African American guy, huge. And his, his range of voices is incredible. I've worked with this guy. I mean, he, he can do little kids and he can do uh, like deep voiced baritone, you know, impressive characters. Amazing. There's a few of them that really have cornered that market. They do a lot of those Saturday morning cartoons. So if you have that kind of voice, and I don't know, I'm with about uh, Barton, they're, they're good across the board. But, uh, you know, I think certain agencies like like everything else, stronger in some areas than others. But I'd say put a good tape together and all.
0: Yeah. So, so what would your advice be to actors if some young actor wants to get into business? I mean, you know, it's funny is I have actors that are teenagers and they're saying, "Oh, I feel like I'm I'm just getting I'm getting into the business late in the game," you know, and then
1: then. I mean, you, you got into it. Look at the- me. I was 30 years old. 30 really, years old? When I started, I mean, I was just starting it. So by the time I got some momentum, I was a couple of years in New York doing yeah. my commercials. And,
0: and literally, like, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody who's got more credits than you when I saw your IMDb. I guess
1: so. I, it's, it's, I didn't realize it was that many. that that is, a lot, that is a lot of credits, you know. And, and, and truthfully, Billy, even nowadays like you say be more i I've never been that proactive I've never been that driven to be honest I mean i I kind of wish I were I think I've done okay but but you know i I used to look at some guys and say look how lucky I am because they'd be there every morning scouring at that time backstage and variety and and sending out their their resume with pictures this is even before the the whole internet age and and then nothing would happen. And I guess luck, some talent, you fall in, you get a niche and you keep going. And uh, But, you know, I'm more unusual. I think, you know, mostly you've got to be a little more driven and a little more uh, orderly and, you know, programmed on how to do it. Have you it- have to be.
0: You have to. Now, this day and age, there's so many actors and You know, you're competing with, you know, your, your your thumbnail is this, you know, an inch on a, on a computer screen, you know, they don't have that headshot. So it's, you know, you really have to outwork, out prep, out choice, out every, you got to be hungry. You got to be relentless in your pursuit of this. This is not something you go in and you get 50%. This is something you got to go after, like you freaking mean it.
1: My my youngest son, Chris, who is, I think, talented, not just because he's my son, but you know, he's, he's got he wants to do stand up. He wants to do acting, but he doesn't really focus on any of it. So, you know, it's I, I hate to say, it, but I don't think he's going to ever really develop for him because I told him, Chris, you literally got to eat, sleep and drink it. You've got to be in the arena all the time. You know, you're better off being a production assistant than, you know, being a bartender in a way. I mean, because you're in the arena. Things happen. People like you. They pick up on stuff and, and you know. You know, I, I saw this gal the other day. In, in, where was it? Smart and final. She's buying giant bags of popcorn. And I said, "What are you opening a movie theater?" She goes, "We're doing a shoot." And she recognized me. We started talking. And I said, "Look, what you're doing is great." I said, "It's just you're you're there. You're working. You know, uh, you're 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 in the arena. Things can happen, and you know that's important." Sure, it's all you know. There's students no that you you have a lot of uh, young students, right? Or I I have them
0: in every age, you know. I have every, I have. That your the, that's your theater, right? This there. is my yeah. This is my theater. I opened up that's my a school. Great
1: space, wow.
0: Yeah, built it with these two hands seven years ago. It's been it's been the, my greatest. And you, you, where is that? Manhattan Beach. It's in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. Wow. You know what's what's beautiful, beautiful is though. You know, I mean, look. Since the pandemic, you know, my doors have been closed sure. since it started. Sure. So. It forced me, you know, this COVID has forced me to get outside of South Bay, you know, and really take everything I teach online. That's why I created this podcast so I can go global and I can reach other people. And now it doesn't matter what's where you are, what state, what country, or whatever, you can study with me via Zoom. So it's it's actually been a, a great when when do you when do you hold your classes? I have classes, master classes, Monday nights from 7.30 to 11. I have a teen class that starts in an hour. I have, I do mostly privates. You know, what I do here is, is I, I guide, you know, I've been there. I've done that. I got the t-shirt to prove it. I found my true passion, which is really, you know, creating dreams. If, if you have a passion for this, if this is truly your passion and you have a dream for it and don't know how to get started and don't know what to do. Well, I do. I've been there. And you know, I create actors all the time. They knock on my door with a dream and I make it a reality. I mean, if I had a nickel for Wait, every time
1: what's your approach when you when you teach? I mean, obviously it's different with the master classes at the beginning, but what is your approach?
0: My approach to the craft is, is don't act. You know, I don't teach acting, I teach truth. You know, how mm-hmm. do you take your stuff? You know, everything that's ever happened to you in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that stuff. That's your gold as an actor. You know, that's what makes you unique. So I, I really focus on, you know, what's your star power? Who are you? Like, what is your stuff? What are you offering to Hollywood? You're a, you're a product. You got to know what you're selling. You know, I knew what I was selling when I came out here. I was this Brooklyn kid from the streets. You know, I, I, I sold that to Hollywood and they bought it, you know, and they that's gave me that That's kind of what team. I sold, sure. Yeah. So, you know, but I knew, you know, when somebody said, oh, you got to get rid of the accent I was like, fuck that. I said, that's what makes me different. And, you know, when yeah. I got my TV series, they were looking for a surfer dude from Venice Beach with a parrot on his shoulder. And I was like, uh, no, I see him kind of, you know, I grew up watching the Fonz and Harry Winkler with the leather jacket. So I gave him the leather jacket with the wife beater with the gold chain. Yeah, because, you hands- know, you,
1: you, yeah, you wouldn't get you're not going to get that, that, that other guy anyway. So yeah.
0: so I, I changed their mind. I changed <laughs> their mind. They, I brought the character into the room and I showed him who the character was. So you know that's what I teach is is you know you got to use your star power. What's what makes you unique, and then really don't act. Really, how do you make it truthful? How do you substitute? How do you personalize? How do you put yourself in a place?
1: Yeah. How about if somebody right? How do you right? How about if somebody's going sort of far afield? If you're like reading for a uh, a 17th century count from Russia. I mean, what what is a a, a kid from Bensonhurst? Uh, how do you make that move without? Well, without, you got to drop some of the accent, don't you? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I've, I've played, I've played many, many characters where I had to lose the accent, you know, but, but the accent got me in the door. The, The accent I found that, you know, when it when I did like my TV show, I can make lines funnier. You know, you too. You know, show, what
1: show did you do? With I you did
0: two? a series called Boys Will Be Boys. When Matthew Perry, it was me and him. It was me. Yeah. Originally, it was called Second Chance. Randy Heller was on the show. Bill Martin was on it, and then they canceled it and revamped it and became Boys Will Be Boys. I found that, like, like with Who's the Boss, you know, I found that if I laid the accent on a little thicker and I made him a little dumber and I made him a little this and that, the, yeah. the, the lines got funnier. and When they, I could get I them left yeah,
1: I, I think I did the first Who's the Boss. Did you? I did the first one. I played. Oh, it was funny. You got but get yeah, anyway. Yeah,
0: but you know, so I mean, that's what got my foot in the door. But you know, of yeah. course, if you're going to play that kind of character, you have to do the research. You have to find the accent. Right. You, have to, right. you have to. You have sure. to. You know, you got to. But but what I'm saying, let's say you're doing it and the the scene is, you know, you have an argument with your father in the thing. Well, you don't know this fictional character of the father, right? You have to be able to put somebody in there real somebody, a father figure, a real father, somebody truthful. So you're not acting with an imaginary land. You're right. working with the truth. Well, that,
1: that, that, that goes around back to the method, because in a sense, yeah, well, we all use life experiences. We use, you know, uh, powerful memories and things to to trigger emotional things. So, I mean, clearly, that is the way to go. I mean, uh, you know, Olivier, and again, you know, with but Olivier, for instance, he would say, but you see, I think a lot of this is the mystique of actors and it's not completely true, but Olivier would say he would be uh, thinking of his laundry list right before he was going to do some impassioned soliloquy. Tony, uh, I remember reading in a a book of, uh, I think it was Larry King wrote about, some some of his uh, interviews and all that. Quinn was working with Olivier on Broadway, and Olivier was about it was they were doing Beckett, I think. And he had this big, incredibly impassioned speech. And all of a sudden, Quinn feels his tugging on his tunic as Roman. It's Olivier, and he, they're upstage at this point. Focuses downstage more, but Olivier goes, Tony, where, where can one get a, a, a really good ale in town here? <laughs> right before he's got to do this thing. So, you know, to be honest, I mean, some of these, you know, watching some of the shows, some of these British actors are marvelous. I think we tend to say they're all external and whatever, but whatever they're doing, it's it's mostly feels very connected and, and real. A lot of them are very powerful listen I I I consider myself
0: a method actor you know I mean listen I played a a paraplegic once you know on uh, an episode of China Beach and you know what did I do well I I I strapped my legs up so I couldn't use them I dragged myself around my house to go to the toilet to go to the kitchen everything to drag myself in bed because I wanted to feel what it feels like to not have any legs how do you play a paraplegic unless you, you know, you have some really yeah. strong upper body strength yeah. to be able to lift yeah. yourself up without the use of your legs to go brush yeah. your teeth?
1: Yeah, yeah. tricks. Look, uh, Hoffman, uh, when he, when he, you know, did that walk in uh, that cowboy, he would, he would have uh, like pebbles in, in his feet and his shoes and gave him that, you know, why not? And that famous story where Olivier said when he, when he looked, well, I don't know if you heard that story where he was completely disheveled when they were doing marathon, man. Uh-huh he idolized Olivier and and he, he came to work Monday morning he looked over he says, my dear boy what's wrong he goes, "Well, I have this you know he, he was getting beaten up and tortured so he's like slept in a closet like <laughs> all weekend and all and he didn't eat shave and he didn't bathe and he says my dear boy why don't you try acting you know <laughs> famous you kind of story
0: Listen, I, I I feel everybody should find their own method. You you find your own method. You find, you find you re- your own you find right?
1: your own method. You learn. You listen. Look. Uh, you know when That's I'm key. I'm working with Duval, and I learned so much just watching him and trying. You know, I remember once he told me, and it, it stuck with me. Kind of but he said, and I do my fairly good Duval impression. Costanzo acting is like life. We got more time than we think. And, and I got what he meant. In other words, take your breath and, you know, and savor the moment and and it's your time, you're on camera, don't rush it. And a lot to be said about that. However, you know, we all have our own motor too. We all have, I mean, I, I think I work better. I, I remember, uh, you know, Lovers and Other Strangers, which I've done a couple of times, a wonderful play. That, they became good friends of mine, Renee Taylor and Joe Bologna. But when I first came out here, And I look like a young Richard Castellano and everybody said, you're going to get the part. And I had a couple of callbacks with them and they were trying to get me to play Castellano, who was great in the role, but has a different motor than I do. I mean, he's much more, you know, a ponderous and slow. And and that ain't me. I think you get you can get the guy, the, the character a couple of different ways, you know. But uh, and I joked about that later on. They came to see me do the play once, and anyway. But it's fascinating. We, you know,
0: a journey. It is a journey, and you gotta, you know, if this is something that you want to pursue, that it is a journey. It's not a race. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go after it like you mean it, and never give up, and you know, have patience and persistence. You gotta be passionate about it. Because this is not something that if you're not, then you shouldn't, you just stay home. That's (laughs) the thing.
1: The three Ps, patience, persistence, and
0: passion. That's it. Let me ask you, if you would go back and give the little you, the younger you, some some advice, what would that be?
1: Be a little more driven. Do the things, you know, one of my great regrets is, and I think I could have really, really been really strong in that area, is to have done more of the classics, done more. I've done a good amount of theater and I'm proud of a lot of the work I did. I recently did something a couple of years ago that in some ways it feels the best work I ever did. It was called The Alamo, a wonderful play. We did at John Ruskin's theater. But um, I wish I had done more of that. I wish I had really gone... And really went after, you know, the Williamstown Festival and did the arena theater and really went after that. You know, I would occasionally sort of jerk myself off and send in a picture, but I never really followed it up. I really wish I had done more of that and, you know, done Chekhov, done Uncle Vanya, really had, really had done that. That that was one thing. I wish I did some more musical theater. I, I, I can sing pretty well. And, uh, you know, I did Guys and Dolls, but I was more of an acting role. Well, there's a couple of things. I do have some regrets about those things, but uh, I just didn't have not as. Not too much late. Drive. I wish I had more drive. I, I and people say you're full of shit. You're just begging for compliments because you did well. I go. I'm not. I'm on. I'm, nothing else. I'm honest. I really do wish I had more drive, more ambition. I'm. I'm, I'm I was satisfied with things and I wish I. I weren't. So that would be my advice. Kick yourself in the ass and be all you can be don't you say okay i did okay I made a living bought a house and I'll really go because i feel a little artistically frustrated in that respect
0: yeah that's great advice don't get comfortable yeah. don't don't get comfortable yeah don't It'll get comfortable really
1: you yeah, know really really go after it and uh, you know and i'm I, i've always been well i don't know if that that's a negative i've always been kind of self-deprecating and all you know i have great belief in myself and ego but Sometimes you put yourself down and it's not so smart because uh, people think, well, he doesn't have much of an opinion of himself. Why should I have an opinion of him? <laughs> yeah. Be your best friend, not your worst enemy. Yeah you, yeah. you always think that everybody's kind of evolved and they get it. You know, like people say, hey, Costanzo's pretty bright. No shit. It took you 10 years to figure that out. Yeah. Like- <laughs> And let me yeah, ask you, going, going back to what we said originally, you got to be pretty bright, bright to play a moron, you know. <laughs> what's What's the most fun you've
0: had in Hollywood?
1: Oh, Jesus! I had a lot of fun doing it with friends like these. I got to play the lead with all these wonderful actors. That was fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I had uh, I had a lot of fun working with the great Duval on the Lightship. You know, Bobby and I just bullshitting about everything about broads and life and wise guys and tough guys from the South and great food and, you know, just wonderful being Aunt Bancroft's husband and fat so and, you know, having her yell at me like my aunt and, and, and teasing her about the fact that she needed glycerin in her eyes to cry. And then she said, Eddie really didn't you bastard. And she showed me what she worked on. It was just a lot of great stuff. That's why I'm going to put together a show, Billy. You should. A one man show. Make it happen. I, I, was playing, I was playing around with it. I should. I was oh, you, playing, want to re- you want to rehearse it? I got a theater. Okay. I was going to say maybe we'll do that. Let's wait. Till, yeah, I was starting to do it at the actor's gym. You know, they had the theater, the White Fire, Bobby, sure. before the pandemic. And I was playing around with it. there. I started out with the, Stras- the Strasburg story. And, you know, I realized all the anecdotal stuff that I have. The, uh, this is great. One, uh, my, my, one of my favorite stories is, we have time for one yes. of yeah. One of my favorite stories is after we did The Light Ship, where I work with the uh, guys who became really Arliss Howard, great actor in that, he was just starting out, Billy, William Forsythe, uh, even though the movie, yeah, Billy's, nobody like him, and <clears throat> the uh, didn't turn out well at all, but Tom Bauer, my great friend, so we come back and I go, I tell my wife, that's it. I'm doing movies. I'm doing three of these a year. No television. I've had it. I can do movies now, right? So I'm home about two days. I get a call from Rochelle and It was casting, uh, I think it was the Six Million Dollar Man. And, you know, like Universal show. She goes, Robert, come in for this. And she called me at home. It was nice. And I said, well, I'd rather not. I'm going to try to stay with the movies, Rochelle, if you don't mind. She goes, come in. You'll get the job. It's an annuity that shows on. I go, all right. So I go there. There's like 25 gorgeous blondes, me, and who comes in? But he became a great friend and a great actor, Ron Perlman. Now, Ron had just come in from New York. He had the baby seat in the back. He and I bonded right away. We start talking about the Yankees and everything. And they're up for like the two uh, guest shot mob guys, you know. So I'm waiting now a half hour. I'm waiting an hour. I'm threatening to leave a couple of times. I'll stay here, stay here. I call this, and I'm going to put this in my show. The last time, I really had balls in Hollywood. So here's what happens. This guy, Lou Shaw, comes in. He's the executive producer. He walks in an hour and a half late. Doesn't even say I'm sorry to us. Walks right into his inner office. We wait another 15 minutes. Rochelle knows that me, I'm like the... Star There's 25 bimbos. Pearlman who just showed up. She's going, Robert, take it easy. I walk in. He doesn't look up now, right? And I go, you you want to take a look at me or what? I said, and by the way, I, you're a little late. You want me to apologize for you? He looks up at me like he can't believe I said this. She's loving it because the casting people, you know, these producers humiliate them. They love this shit. So finally I go, oh, Mr. Sure, sorry he's late, but he'll get to you. So now we sit down to read. And he goes, and this, I swear to God, I didn't make this up. He goes, should I know you? I go, well, unless you live under a rock and Walden pond, I would hope so. But so he goes, uh, 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 what, 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 what do you think of the script? Well, it ain't Gone with the Wind, and I ain't Gable, and you certainly ain't Selznick. I swear to God. <laughs> now, now we sit down to read. He's got the, the, you know, the Hollywood Loafers with no socks and the tassel. So I smacked him on the loafer and I go, You really want me to read this shit or what? He goes, No, that's all right. And I got the Love, it. See, I love tell, it. I gotta tell that story. And yeah, Perlman, Ron will Ron will verify that. Anyway. I, I love that story. I, yeah, I call, yeah, like yeah. It. so I'm gonna do stuff like that in my wow. act talk about working with people and uh,
0: who's your favorite actor that you work with?
1: Oh, a good question. Wow. My favorite actor.
0: You work with a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I work with Duval. I like Bobby a lot. Have you worked with Bobby? Yeah, I did the Lightship with Bob. You know, yeah, Lightship. That's how he told me that story about you got more time than you think. Bobby comes to mind. I like some of the young, some of the women who had uh, like Valerie Harper was great when I did Rhoda. A couple of people, Uh, David Strathairn, wonderful, great actor. Remember him in. he got nominated for Best Actor. He he was with us and with friends like these. What a joy. We became really good friends. Beautiful, modest, humble, easy to work with. Great guy. Uh, he comes to mind. Yeah, some of those guys. Who awesome.
0: um, For me? I mean, that I've stop, worked with?
1: Like. Yeah.
0: That I've worked with?
1: Yeah. Well,
0: you have Matthew Perry. No, I was probably was, talking Bobby De Niro. You know, we're talking.
1: Oh, you, you work with De Niro.
0: No. Yeah. Well, here's what happened was I did, had done Pretty Woman with Gary Marshall. And then Penny was doing Awakenings. And I got called in to read for a cab driver, a Puerto Rican cab driver that picks him up when he's off the meds and he's, uh-huh. he's not, he's, you know, he's going back into his, into that catatonic, you know, he's, 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 he's in bad shape, right? So I had read, and, and then I went to Palm Springs, and then I got a call from my agent saying, hey, they want to screen test you with Robert De Niro. It's going to be at you know Warner Brothers on, uh, it was like Sunday or something like that. So I literally jumped in my car, raced home, raced came, uh, got ready for this thing. I walk into the room. There's Penny Marshall, Laverne, that I grew up with.
1: Yeah, she produced star uh, with friends like these. Robert De Niro.
0: Now, I'm thinking I'm looking for Agent Bull. I'm looking for a taxi driver. I get Leonard from Awakenings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's talking about method acting. I get this guy. and He's real you better, shy. You he's got nothing. Yeah, so, but, but my scene is, you know, with him, uh, you know, I, he's sick. And I'm telling him, come on, you're in a bad neighborhood. Let me get you out of here, whatever. And, and I'm trying to get him to get off this, you know, this bench and to get him in my cab. And, you know, I go to pick him up. He just lays there like dead weight. And he makes me truly struggle to pick him up. And in that moment, everything became so real in that moment. And we started improvising. And then I said, Come on, then I'm gonna get you home. And I threw him over my shoulder. I put him on my shoulder and I started carrying him as I'm improvising. And I got Robert De Niro on my shoulder and I'm walking out. I'm I'm waiting. You know, yeah. finally Penny Marshall yells, Cut. And I I put Robert De Niro down, you know, gently, and he goes. That was good. That was good. <laughs> yeah, did you get that? So, no, they cut that part out. But oh. it didn't. they cut it out. They never filmed, filmed it. it. But, but no. it didn't matter to me. Yeah. I floated literally floated out of yeah. the room yeah. because, yeah. you know, Robert De Niro told yeah. me that was good. You know, and it was yeah, just. I,
1: mean, uh, I, I my, my guy was always Pacino, always wanted to work with Al. So the closest I came to that was I was doing Dick Tracy. And it was a great that that was a fun day in a way because Pacino was not working that day and he was like in this great mood and I I, I was doing American Buffalo and and Beatty Beatty had seen me in a couple of things and uh, I had to wait like uh, a month to get this this one day of work uh, you know to be with Warren Beatty nobody ever got to see the script you know it was a Vittorio Stellato, the great Italian cinematographer, was there, so it was like this amazing day. Pacino, my acting idol, is watching the scene, so this was like a classic day. And Beatty is Beatty's telling me shit like, "Hey, Costanzo, you're doing American Buffalo. Maybe me and Al will come to see you." And I'm going, "Oh fuck, would that be-? <laughs> I was doing I was doing Donny in America. I said, "This would be." Yeah. Anyway, well, Pacino's watching the scene, and Servino is my boss. And he's got these big lips. So I come over, and this is fucking hilarious. What's his name? Uh, Baby tells Uh Well, you know, storado sort of was like his own director. He like he deferred to him in terms of the lighting and all that. And he had his young nephew there, Fausto. So we're rehearsing. So he goes, "Whenever you're ready," and then we go and. And all of a sudden, Beatty goes, so Robert, he tells you, you go around and you go to Lips and yada, 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 you do a little improv and then do the lines of the script, blah, blah, blah. blah. So I go over to him and, and we're ready to do the scene. And so there's me, Servino, Jack Hill, who's like an old Irish character there, and Madonna, who Beatty was with at the time, actually. Yeah. And uh, he goes, so Servino, Paul goes, who might, and she was breathless in the script who might Breathless be? And she goes, who the fuck do you think? This is before we rehearse. Everybody kind of suppresses a laugh because Paul can, Paul can get a little bombastic to say the least. So we start the scene and when we come around, oh, and then your baby says, so you'll come here, Robert, and then Vittorio will will take Breathless off the stage and we'll include her and we'll do the master part. and." He said, "Who went breathless?" Be and we all laughed. Pacino's watching and everything. So now, when we do the rehearsal for the scene, he smacks me hard in the face. Servino. And we know each other. And I looked at him, and I was going to clock him. I let it go. I know what he did. He did. He transferred his shit onto me from her. So we talk ladies, Bobby. I'm sorry. I said, all right, Paul. <laughs> I've always wanted to tell Pacino about that, like that, what happened. So now cut to John Capodici and I go see Al Du Salome. And and John knew knew Pacino because he had done American Buffalo with him. He went, he was understudying JJ Johnson. They went to London and all. Wow. We went backstage and I finally got to tell uh, Pacino that story. He laughed, you know, but it was it's crazy shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to work with
0: uh, Pacino. Though. Yeah, me too. I, I got to meet him backstage when he was doing the yeah, I met him a Williams. Couple of times. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, I noticed that you had your, your first acting credit was Dog Day Afternoon. What, what's up with that?
1: That's not my, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, who was that my first acting credit? I was an extra in that. A lot of us were extras in that. And, you, were you out there on the street? During I that was time. out there on the street, yeah, I, th- that was not a speaking part, right, but I was, a, you know what's funny about that, they did a, a, like an anthology of great films of the 70s, and I'm not a, a principal in that, I, I'm not supposed to, get. I never got residuals, I was, I was, you know, an expert Some yeah. money, we all became, a lot of us became friends, we were young actors, you know, out here in Hollywood, a lot of them are doctors and nurses, and but we all wanted to be actors in New York and we were all on that movie, and they called me and asked me if I could, if they could use my, there's a close-up of me in that. And they paid me like 800 bucks for it. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, dog day afternoon. What
0: a, what a great experience that must have been as a young actor to watch, you know, Al you know you going know. Attica, Attica. You
1: know. And I, you know what I remember? A couple of things about that. Charlie Durning. Years right. later, I got I got a part in a talk about playing different characters. Burt Reynolds, the thing called The Last Producer. And I and I got a nice offer to play an Armenian real estate guy, and uh, Lauren Holly was my hot girlfriend. I never got these kind of parts, so I I, I asked Charlie Durning. I said, "You have anything to do with that, Charlie?" And he goes, "What do you think?" You know, <laughs> I was close with Bert, and I got this offer because Durning must said, this to this guy Robert Costanza." So that's that was great. But uh, I, Durning I got to know through Dog and John Cassal, the great. Wow! Says, yeah, the great Cassell. Who was who died yeah. after three movies? Who so Alfredo? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the train going going home after work one day, and he and I said, "Mr. Cassell, He goes, "Yeah." Hi. And I say, "I'm on the movie." I'm oh, so warm talking to yeah. me about acting. Yeah, such you a know, talent. They were like they were like brothers. He, yeah, you know, part of him, he never never got over John's death. You know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway listen, I, I got to tell you,
0: I am so honored to have you on the show, you know, imparting your wisdom, your knowledge, I'm a big fan of your work. I look forward to seeing you. You know, you got to put that play together. I, I, I want to see it. I want to come watch you on stage doing that. I think you're such a talented actor. I think you're a hell of a guy. And I'm, I'm truly blessed to have you on the show. So I want to thank welcome. you from the bottom of my heart.
1: Billy, thank you, man. I've always, I'm glad we reconnected again, and uh, we'll stay in touch more. Yeah, about.
0: absolutely. It's We're so great
1: you. to see you. You're, you know, I don't know if the people out there know how talented you are. I'm sure they've seen you in things. You're, you're something else, and uh, this is great. You're doing all this now, and you're, you know, moving actors and people, talented people, onto careers. It's great. It's good to do this. Thanks a lot, my friend. Thank you, Bobby.
0: Take care. You, God brother. bless. And listen, you know, once this thing calms down and, you know, the pandemic's over, I want you to come into the theater. I will. I will. will hang out. All right. Okay, take care, buddy. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't.